wear more if you wanted to. You're so tall. I'm fair. But I like to experiment with a lot of different looks. Were you born in Chicago? I was born right here. Lived here my whole life. My favorite animal is the meerkat. Do you know what they are? They're so cute. Oh, they're, I've got this little charm bracelet with meerkats on it. Do you have lots of boyfriends? I bet you did. Did you ever try out for cheerleading or anything? I tried out, but I didn't make it. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Owen Daly to discuss Amy Adams' Oscar-nominated performance in the 2005 film Junebug. Owen, good to have you back on the show. Good to be back. Um, always excited to discuss performances or even myself just listen to the episodes as they come out weekly. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm always happy to have uh, returning guests back on, new guests, you know, the whole the whole thing. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie to be your uh, third episode now. Yes. So I realized um, the previous two performances we discussed were uh, leading performances and I thought, Let's try and bring a bit of variety to what we talk about. I mean, I still stayed in the arena of actresses because duh, but I thought let's go for a supporting performance. And also, I guess when I sort of chose this, I sort of, I was excited to talk about Amy Adams because it's, um, there's a lot to discuss with her. Yeah. There, there is eternally a lot to discuss with Amy Adams. Uh, and and people sure do love to discuss her. Uh, past mm-hmm. couple of weeks, it's been a hot topic on Twitter of uh, the Amy Adams career of the past, say, six years. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that uh, exactly. uh, on this episode because there's a lot to talk about. But yeah. yeah. And it's also exciting that at the moment, currently, the only opportunity for your podcast to discuss Amy Adams as yes. I believe the rest of her nominations received multiple yeah I think she might show yes uh uh it's her only nomination that I get to talk about but at the very least there's nocturnal animals also somewhere down the line uh at least to talk about Amy being in a movie uh wait was that Amy Adams I thought it was Isla Fisher huh yeah, I, I'm excited to be talking about Junebug, to be talking about uh, early Amy Adams before she was really the Amy Adams that we know and love today. Uh, there's there's a gonna, there's a lot of angles on this one. I, I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about here. So we are mm-hmm. talking about Junebug from 2005, directed by Phil Morrison, written by Angus McLaughlin, starring Ambeth Davids, uh, Amy Adams, Ben McKenzie, Celia Weston, Alessandra Nivola, Scott Wilson, and Frank Hoyt Taylor. It premiered January 24th, 2005 at the Sundance Film Festival. It played uh, Critics Week at Cannes in May, uh, had a limited release in the U.S. on August 5th, and opened wide September 16th. Uh, So that is the movie we're talking about. And let's jump right in and talk about Amy Adams, our nominee here. Uh, Where do we want to start off with this performance? I mean, I think the first shot, of the Ashley character is very sort of the perfect introduction to her character and what she will go through. I mean, you're introduced to a tight close-up on Amy Adams' face, just filled with enthusiasm and excitement as she awaits her new sister-in-law and uh, brother-in-law, sister-in-law and 
they're both i think they're both in law it's just uh (laughs) however many degrees separated uh that gets yeah so waiting for her her new in-laws to return home and i mean straight away it's like you know ashley like it it's I don't know. It's always so exciting whenever you visit this. I've this is like I think my fourth time viewing it. Sim, I mean, I go as most people go in at the beginning. You go in for Amy Adams, but just there's just so much to really love about this performance. And I think that opening shot and how pronounced her eyes are is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. They it, like it is. It, I, this isn't her first movie, is it? No, because she was no. in like. Catch me if dropped you can. Dropped and in gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. But, that was but this her first is like movie. Yes. Yeah, you're right. But this is like a a breakthrough. It, it's still pretty early on in her career. And uh whoever had the foresight to cast her in this, like they they just got the look right. They just got it so perfectly that someone just knew she because she does have it that just from looking at her, she's she draws you in. She draws your attention right to her. Um and then she starts talking and it's a whole other layer to the character. And she's just mile a minute. Like her first line is something like, oh, I bet she's thin. I'm going to hate her. I lost two pounds yesterday. And it's just like, you know, it just keeps, she always has something to say. She's just this excitable chatterbox. Uh, it is from the very first moment that she actually opens her mouth in this movie. Uh, she basically n- never shuts it for the entire rest of the movie. And it is, uh, again, just great way to set up this character. And she delivers it really well. She she has this just, this earnest naivete to her that's like, in, in a way of like, uh, uh, this is in North Carolina, right? Like, in a way of like, Southern, like, like a, the American South sort of naivete, where she's like, a little bit sheltered and she's you know she's a good christian girl who has these big ideas about the world and about relationships and about love that are uh not quite jaded even though she has every right to be uh with her situation and it just really comes across so instantly like she she just has a grip on this character from the very beginning it's it's a great uh hook yeah absolutely and i think while she does present as that sort of like unaware of what how she's presented there is sort of clues that i think amy adams brings to where she does make ashley sort of into a more well-rounded person where maybe she does realize and um, that she might be off-putting because i mean it, it makes sense later on when the character sort of has her change but we'll get to that later on but no i really like how both subtly and very much not subtly, she really creates this character. And um, yeah, it's like when you think about it, I mean, at the time, obviously, Amy Adams just was known for, I guess, being a girlfriend in Catch Me If You Can and just... Um, yeah, I'm looking at her uh, uh, filmography here on Wikipedia. Did you know she was uh, uh, in the direct-to-video Cruel Intentions 2 as the... Uh, uh, I, it looks like the replacement for Reese Witherspoon or is it Reese Witherspoon and Cruel Intentions or am I getting I that mixed it, up with I think, the other movie um, very similar to that one that I, I think well, 
Reese is in Cruel Intentions, but I think the character she was playing was the Sarah Michelle Geller one. You're right. You're right. Never mind. Yes, <laughs> she's the Sarah Michelle Geller replacement in Cruel Intentions two, which is uh, her third movie. Just a yeah. tangent there from from I, I did not know <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, but I am. Um... Like the whole mile, talking a mile a minute. I mean, even there's a moment where she stops talking and then just gets up so excitedly saying probably one of my favorite lines is of like, I'm so friggin' excited. Yeah. And like the 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 accent, I mean, it's definitely not Amy Adams' natural way of speaking. And it really just adds to this character and makes the lines very much stand out in your mind. I mean, I think that the scene where she first speaks to Madeline everything like I could almost just read off that whole monologue just knowing it it's so 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 adorable I didn't make it you're not (laughs) I'm gonna keep going I'll try I'm sorry no absolutely like most of my notes that I have written down are just line readings that are great um uh uh where where uh, she says that uh, sometimes she likes to read and go horseback riding. And uh, she's at the same time, so (laughs) like, so genuinely like in awe of this woman that like she can do no wrong. She is this like great woman from the city, woman of culture, all powerful, all like, just like she could be, you know, she could be able to start fires with her fingertips. Uh, and Ashley would believe it just because she's so like like uh, uh, before that when when they're walking inside and uh, she accidentally knocks the the ceramic bird off off the wall and Ashley immediately cops to it even though uh, Madeline is the one who did it um, and just at the end of the scene she's just I love her it, it's it's great I mean I think we are just going to be spending so much of this repeating the lines that that she has but it's it's great and sh- the uh just the instant adoration and uh idolization that she has for this woman she knows basically nothing about is it's very sweet it's very endearing it, it's a great way for the audience to uh to have like a hook to her character to have a mm-hmm. a reason like like we know exactly how she feels about our protagonist and what she wants from our protagonist, which is her attention. And it, it's not the kind of a uh, nagging character that really wants the attention that like we as the audience are annoyed by. It's it's very earnest and sweet in a way that I think in the hands of uh, a lesser actress uh, could be so grating that we, we just want this character off the screen whenever she shows up because she's, too pushy she's too clingy but she's not because amy adams is just so goddamn adorable it's it's really uh really striking yeah i think as an actress amy adams is sort of unmatched in how she can play roles that could maybe on the page seem quite annoying and and slightly irritating she somehow manages to accomplish the task of not making them so I mean in something like Drop Dead Gorgeous she's playing a a character which is presented as just being a dumb um, beauty project contestant but because of her just effervescence she really makes you fall for her and she definitely brings that out in Ashley which is why she's the main thing people talk about from this because she just 
takes you in and you just can't stop watching her. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a commanding performance that you can absolutely see why people watched this in 2005 and were like, oh, we're going to make her a movie star. She's going to be like the actress of her generation. And I mean, for what it, for what it's worth, it, it did stick like she is still around and working today. Uh, uh, maybe not in, in the most uh, beloved of projects in recent years, but uh, you know, there's always Night Bitch. There's always Night Bitch mm-hmm. coming down the pike. Um, yeah, I can definitely see um, Disney watching this and being like, oh, that is who you're going to cast as Giselle. Yes. Yeah, like there, there's a reason that is her one of her next big projects after this is because you, you can see why she would get that role as a as a follow up to this character just because it is you know she's a very similar type of earnest uh uh pushiness without you know coming across as pushy if if that yeah fracks mm-hmm. i just i just have so many moments written down so many line readings there's a uh just the 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 line reading where uh, I think they've gone into the bedroom now and, and uh, Madeline's going to unpack her bags and Ashley's just like, okay, I- I'm going to leave you alone. I want to know all about how you and George met. Was it love at first sight? Just like, <laughs> she's like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna leave you. I'm going to be quiet. And she just can't hold it in. She's just, she has so many questions. She wants to know everything about her. And it, like, I, I'm just getting at the same, the same ideas that we've been talking about, about how, how much she loves this woman she just met and knows nothing about. And, but she just makes it so believable. She makes it work so well. And I just, it's a star making performance for a reason because every moment hits. And uh, even if it's a character that is for the most part, a, a little bit like not one note as a pejorative, but like she's playing the same you know, role throughout and, and she's playing her very similarly, except for like, there's a few key moments where, where she stands out as doing something separate, but like this mode is just the perfect mode to be operating on for the movie. And, and you just, you just have to sit back and, and watch it. It just, just let it wash over you. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's nominations like this that I really love because it's, it's a it's a very obviously it's a very small film and it just shows that people took the time to watch it because even if you watch just her first scene like it's it makes sense why she would receive this nomination because she's just that great yeah and just just captivating just it's it's great it's a great performance and i i really don't want to go down the uh, the avenue of just quoting it but there's just so many good quotes uh and, and not all of them are in that same mode like like there's there are some good dramatic moments before you know the big one at the end spoilers for people mm-hmm. that might not have seen the movie go watch the movie before this uh if if you haven't yet uh, it's worth your time uh but like like the the scene where uh, she and Madeline are talking about uh the baby and they're talking about uh, uh, what's the the her husband Johnny, and they're talking about you know how he, he she, she uh, Madeline slowly gets out gets it out of her that like 
Johnny doesn't really want a baby, but Ashley's she's certain she says that like, oh, as soon as he sees the baby, he's going to snap out of it. I think. And and Mm -hmm. just the pause before I think like she knows that she she knows somewhere inside of her that like Johnny doesn't want this baby and, and having the baby isn't going to magically fix that. But there's a part of her that is so hopeful and so earnest that it makes her pause that that she she doesn't want to admit that she knows this and and you get the idea like you mentioned throughout the 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 movie that she isn't quite as naive as she lets on she just you know she's she has this hope for the world she has this bright attitude that she doesn't really want to admit or or acknowledge the uh, the sort of harsher truths about her situation, but she's also not stupid, and and she's she can address those when when the time comes, and it's it's a it's a a, a really good way to make the character not one note without you know delving too deep into a preachiness or a uh, uh, a mode that completely changes the character 180 degrees into something that is so different from the Ashley we've been watching so far like it it fits within the character that Adams has been playing when she goes into these softer moments uh, of recognition and yeah it's just it's a it's a great performance we're just gonna keep saying it it's very good Mm -hmm. yeah I think the the film's really effective in how um it chooses to sort of differentiate between the classes in the film yeah. And I think the Ashley character is an especially good part of that because we are introduced to the George and Madeline character at the beginning and you're sort of aware that they're more of a higher class just based on where they meet and what we're sort of, what career path we're introduced to in Madeline. And then you see it sort of contrasted with the life that the Johnston family are living. And I think what really makes the film effective is that it never judges either part of the class system and just sort of sort of shows how much they both have in common and how they're all we're, they're all just people whether they're broken or fully together and that's sort of what the film I feel like is investigating as it goes on yeah because like it very it, it's there's a lot of like hills and valleys to the journeys of all the characters like it's such a well-rounded sort of universe I would say yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I want to talk more about the, those perspectives when we get into the movie at large. But they definitely like it, it is worth bringing up here for sure because Ashley's character, you know, she 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 a high school dropout. Is that am I remembering correctly that she dropped think... out when she got pregnant, or she just I I, I don't either way. She she comes from this small, very small town. Uh, they all do, and she and Johnny. Uh, wait, no, she didn't get. No, they got married in high school. Yeah, they were high school. Right. I, I know. There's... Yeah, they're high school sweethearts who got married. Yeah, and they definitely didn't get pregnant in, in high school. Yeah, no, that that not... wouldn't make sense at all because they're not. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just I didn't get a lot of sleep last night, and mm-hmm. my brain's. Going all over the place. Yeah, uh, I think I I think they were high school dropouts because you have the scene later with Madeline and Johnny where 
he's sort of she's sort of helping him with studying for his um GED. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I knew I there was some sort of thread to pull out there. I was just going at it from mm-hmm. the wrong angle. Uh but yeah, like that is a part of this character, but the movie doesn't judge her for it in a way that like you could absolutely see a movie of this type completely judging the character and and looking down on her for being uneducated and looking down on her for being religious uh and it doesn't like it, it gives her the very sweet moment at the at the baby shower where uh they all say their prayer and then the delusional racist artist who's there gives his whole weird prayer and and you just see ashley go amen and and it's it's a sweet it's a like she has no idea what just happened because nobody has any idea what just happened because it's nonsense from a crazy man uh but she's still this respectful person whose religion uh inspires her to be a respectful person and to be a kind person and a movie like this that is coming from a perspective of you know rich art dealer worldly woman comes to this small town and interacts with these small town people you could absolutely see a movie like that taking a very anti-religion uh stance and like showing these people as as you know backwater religious hicks there's plenty of movies have painted with those broad strokes and i really like that the movie chooses specifically uh to go against against that that conception uh with ashley and to have her religion be a part of her that she holds very uh she just holds very close to her, to herself her the fact that she is a religious person and uh just it's it's another aspect of the character that i think makes her a well-rounded character uh and makes uh, Adams's portrayal just feel more realistic in mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, I think it's um once once you get sort of into the baby shower scene and then throughout the rest of the film, you definitely get the non-judgment of her and sort of her beliefs and stuff. But I feel like an element that starts to like rear its ugly head is just sort of how sad Ashley truly is and how sort of the enthusiasm and happiness might sort of be a mask that she puts on. And I think that's very necessary to get to the big emotional climax for her character. Like, I think if you don't have the little scene between them about the video cassette or even the scene of um, Ashley alone in bed, that where you start to where you end wouldn't really make sense. Yeah. So I think the scenes building up to the end are very are necessary because you see Ashley is more than just what you think she is from the beginning. And I think that's why I wouldn't consider this character sort of a one note character because there's a lot, if you, if you look, you can see Adam's cluing you into how real this person is and how what all you're seeing might not be the most honest thing that she's presenting to everybody. Yes, yeah, maybe, yeah, one one note wasn't quite what what I was intending to get at with that. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I have a question about the scene that you mentioned where she's in bed. Is she masturbating to a a picture of herself and and Johnny? 
I couldn't I really so. tell because it, it's it's left ambiguous. You you you, mm-hmm. you just get like a couple shots of her hand moving in that general direction, uh, but if if that is the case, it's it's I I think it's supposed to be open to interpretation what we're watching here, um, but like if that's the case, that's just another whole layer to her and her uh, just her conceptions of romance that this is what she's taking this pleasure from is the concept of her own relationship. Uh, and that's you know, everything that that's cut against with Johnny. And uh, I keep forgetting Ambeth Davids's character's name, Madeline, Madeline. Uh, with, with the two of them, you know, working through his homework. Uh, it's, it's just a really intense scene that, that like, like you said, clues you into so much more uh, of who Ashley is and the side of her we don't really see elsewhere. Where, like, it, it's almost it almost doesn't mesh. Even though, like, she's pregnant, so obviously she's a person that has had sex. But like, her intense, uh, earnest naivete, it it feels almost like she's a character that would be that like wouldn't even really have a conception of masturbation and i don't know like what that where that's coming from but like it feels so jarring for the character because we've seen her be so i don't know does that make sense what i'm saying or is that is that just nonsense um, I, I i mean i think my opinion is that it kind of does make sense with the character because I mean, I mean, it makes sense she... to the character. I just mean, like, it 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 presents a side to her that is, uh, it feels contrasting to what we've seen so far, but it also does fit within when, when you look at it from a, uh, when you, you, like, take a step back. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of disagree in that I think it's contrasting. I think it it sort of is a further journey of her because I think, it's sort it's it's played very sad in a sad tone like it's not like you sort of the questions you have of the scene is obviously this isn't the first time that she's done this and yeah. how long has she been not like clearly her and Johnny are not physical with each other for a very very long time maybe the only time they were physical together um was in high school or when the last time or when she got pregnant basically and I think it's sort of Again, as I said, I think it's a necessary scene because it shows how sad Ashley is and that it makes sense for the hospital scene that you're sort of clued into her sadness a bit earlier on. So I think it it I think it doesn't it's sort of it because the film at that point takes a turn where it gets much more upsetting. Like you have yeah. that scene you have everything related to the hospital scene. You have um, just Johnny himself just coming very viciously for Madeline. Um, so I think m- my opinion is that it is, isn't that jarring. I think it sort of expands um, the whole, the characters a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I, I absolutely, I'm just having a hard time of trying to articulate what I'm trying to say. Uh, I do like though, even though it is the the movie is definitely trending towards this more more somber tone in the latter half, I do like that that we do still get 
uh, the levity of of her having her contractions and just being so excited about them and being like, oh, this is fun. Oh, I'm, I'm having a good time. We're just like, and obviously that uh, serves as a very strong contrast to what follows. But I think it, it's a moment of levity and it's a great, uh, just again, a very great comedic, just like mo- section for Adams to shine and and to have these, uh, just, uh, just a pure comedic, a light part of the movie because after the hospital scene she's gone from the rest of the movie right uh physically yes there's, yes, only physically. there's the phone, phone call conversation yeah yeah but no uh, she's definitely that sort of is her ending but I, I agree i really like um how the whole the whole giving birth um begins because you do have um ashley alone sort of counting making sure that it's actually contractions before she announces to the entire household that she's going into labor yeah. and sort of you see you see every i think it's a comedic a very effective comedic scene for everyone because yeah. you have uh, johnny just somehow coming into oh i want to help oh no it's real wanting to give a phone call and and um, the peg character sort of um, celia johnson being like no i'm doing it um and just sort of how they get there into the car the four of them and sort of yeah. how they don't it's it's a it's a nice little sequence and i think yeah. everyone really plays it well all the stuff about like johnny's sitting in the front seat and uh her mom was like no go go sit back there with your wife and uh mm-hmm. just like e- eugene being very slow to drive off like is everyone strapped in and is everyone doing all right he's like no go to the hot start driving and he just doesn't uh at, at first it's it is a great comedic very light sort of cheery moment for everyone mm-hmm. and it's the kind of thing that like if if you're taking note of it you're like oh this is uh sort of uh unseasonably light compared to what the last few minutes are i hope it's not setting up for something that is just uh you know going to take things to the extreme opposite and it does mm-hmm. uh yeah. and and it is uh you know one of the most heartbreaking things you can have happen to a character uh no no other way about it it is it is intense and you know it's coming and even when you know it's coming it, it still hits you like a like a sack of bricks uh it is rough yeah i think the film the how it chooses to reveal that it's a stillbirth is um very effective because i mean you have sort of um the filmed scene with the Johnson, the mother, father, and son sort of in the parking lot. And you're sort of like, oh, something's gone wrong. And it isn't until George calls Madeline that you actually know that the child didn't make it. Yeah. And I think I think that little phone call scene is really heartbreaking because you have George sort of revealing that it would have been a boy. And um, it just, like, the fact, like, the scene before with him and Madeline where you know sort of Madeline was brushing off that this pregnancy was going to happen, being like, oh, I will make it. Um, but it, it's it's very like, whoa, like it, it it gets to you and you're just sort of not prepared for it because you you love this character of Ashley and you want good things to happen to her. Yeah. And unfortunately, the thing that she wanted most throughout the entirety of the film doesn't happen for her. And it's really depressing. Yeah, and and I think it's very important that the movie 
sets up like well in advance that this has happened long before we see Ashley again. Like mm-hmm. it, it is giving the audience uh, the the time to sort of brace themselves for for Ashley's uh, reaction to all this, and and I think that's you know it, it shows you how much respect the movie has for the character uh, that it is giving her the distance uh, between us that it is giving us you know time to prepare that like oh we're going to have to go through this with her uh, and and another movie again I, like I I say that I hate to do this but I do this a lot on this podcast I found this is a a, a strong point of criticism for me is comparing it to what another hypothetical version of this movie would have done potentially but like you could see a version of this movie either putting her through it directly or showing us the immediate aftermath or you know any sort of direct response to it and we we don't see that and i I think that's it's very respectful to the character that we see her after she's had some time to process and she's obviously not over it by any means because mm-hmm. how could you ever expect that of of someone that's gone through this but she has had time to to sit with this and i i i, I don't know just the whole scene between her and george just talking while she's still in the hospital bed uh and and she like I don't know, the, the whole thing where she's talking about how she, you know, she doesn't want Johnny to be mad at her for this. She doesn't want Johnny to blame her for this because it's not her fault. Uh, she, like, in this whole thing, she asks George about Madeline, even though everything has, like, she's just gone through this. She asks him how Madeline is. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, she's, she's just... Even in this darkest moment of her life, she is just this beacon of of hope in in even the smallest form and of compassion. And it's it's a really heartbreaking sequence that Adams plays to such varying degrees that she isn't just playing the heartbreak, that she is still playing Ashley as Ashley, as this compassionate funny sweet person that is just you know dejected about her situation but still is trying her best to put on a brave face and to put on a happy face even when just the worst thing possible has happened to her she's still she this isn't enough to break her this isn't enough to jade her entirely she is still she still has hope even after losing her child. And it is, it is, it's just a very strong, strong characterization of this character that again, a lesser actress wouldn't just not feel convincing in this, in this sequence. And Mm -hmm. Adams just is because you believe her as, as this character. Like I'm not, in this scene, I'm, I don't feel like I'm watching Amy Adams. I feel like I'm watching Ashley actually going through this, which is a real testament. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that 
she doesn't start crying at the very beginning of the scene really sort of makes the um when she does break that much more effective and I agree with you I think she plays the entirety of the scene so wonderfully because she verifies basically every section of the scene at the beginning sort of because my question about the scene is like is this the first time since the last that Ashley has reacted in this way I mean the film doesn't seek to answer that but that's just sort of a thing that I feel like depending on the day I change my opinion on whether she cried while it happened was she even um lucid when it was happening and um, who's to really know but I yeah it's just a deeply depressing scene and I I think this was the scene that I'd seen before I'd ever watched the film I just sort of came across it um somewhere on YouTube and was like whoa this is like acting and that's without any of the context of the film and I think what makes it that much more effective is with the entire context prior to the scene and sort of how you've gotten to know and love Ashley throughout and you just sort of see this person as you say go through the hardest thing a person can go through which is the loss of basically joy and um, yeah. I mean they'd they'd made they'd had basically they were ready to it was they were ready just to have this baby in their life and then they lost it because of unfortunate circumstances and yeah Adams is just really incredible in this and you I agree you don't see Amy Adams even with the decades post this film yeah I don't see I don't the Amy Adams that I know I don't see in this I I just see an actress of no name sort of playing this really incredible role so wonderfully and it's just every time like you know it's I mean even if you don't know it's coming you're just not prepared for like how overwhelmed you're going to be by it and it's just it gets me every time yeah and 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 the other thing I love about the scene is that it doesn't just purely dwell on the melodrama it doesn't become like uh just overly miserable just like look at these characters suffering don't you feel bad like she ends the scene with a joke she ends the scene being like you know what I'm craving some nuts. Just like, she's, it's just, that's a very human moment. That is like, so rarely in movies do you see a scene where a character has gone through something so devastatingly traumatic and still having the, the heart to crack a joke and to, to laugh through it, which is like the most human response that we have to tragedy is to find levity and to find these very human connections and this connection that she has with George, who we haven't seen her interacting with for most of the movie. Uh, it's like the two of them are like the pairing with the most separation. It feels like, I don't, I don't think we really ever see them interact beyond the first scene uh, when, when they get there, <clears throat> but it's like she, she still has this connection. She has this whole relationship with him that we don't see just because it's not in the movie, but like it is, it it just feels very realistic in the moment. And it's, it's the moment that like of the whole sequence of, of that whole, her going through the grief uh, in a, in a very natural way 
I feel like that that joke at the that like moment of levity is the part that sticks with me the most because it feels so genuine and it feels like just it feels so off the cuff in the moment. It it, it doesn't feel like oh I have to thread this needle of just giving this very emotionally wrenching scene and then ending with a, a moment of levity. It feels like an actual person going through this trauma making a very realistic comment in the moment, just spur of the moment, just mm-hmm. saying what's on their mind. And that can be really tough to pull off. And I think Adams pulls it off to such great effect that it almost feels like an ad lib, even though there's no way it was, because that would be kind of an insane thing to ad lib at the end of this sequence. Like, hey, I'm going to make a joke here. I feel like this scene needs a joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what really helps Adams in this scene is Alessandro Novella is just such a great co-star for many performers. I think that's what I most appreciate him as a performer is how sort of he presents physically as a great sort of body listener. And while the scene is sort of mostly filmed on Adam's face and you really just see the back of his head and side of his face really being there with Adams, it really makes it work very strongly. And even though we don't get a scene between the two of them until this scene I think it makes sense that that's the character that she would break down to and you get all the history that you need between these two people in this one moment yeah that's just a really effective I think that's a very it displays how well written this film is because it does come off as natural and it really comes off as something that maybe the writer witnessed and not that he's trying to come up with this great dramatic scene. It feels very personal and very much an experience that some that a real person might have had. And that what that's what makes the scene really stand out. Not just because it's a very emotional scene, but because it feels very real and very honest. Yes, it's it's a very like it it would be tough to have a scene like this and make it play as dishonest just because you know it's such a a such an intense thing to go through that like you have to really try hard at it to make it come across as as i mean i mean there is there have been scenes like this that, that are poorly done but like there's still just an inherent emotionality to Go, a character going through something like this but mm-hmm. even still like this gets at an even deeper level of honesty that i think uh so much of that is on the back of adams playing her uh, in in the very particular way that she does and with all of the backstory that we have from the rest of the movie like you mentioned like the scene works on its own just fine it is a great display of acting uh, it is uh, she hits all these beats that like we as as appreciators of great acting can point to to be like oh this is great acting but it, it, it there's another layer that is added just from knowing the character uh, from the entire rest of the movie and yeah it's it's just it's really it's a really great scene for Adams and it it like you can see why this at the end of this movie 
is a hook that people would would point to to be like, oh, she's not just this this character we've been this you know uh, light sort of character that has a darker side, but like you outwardly presents as this cheery character. She has she is an actress that can do so many different things within the realm of this one character, and, and you can see why this like would maybe propel her to even another level of appreci- of appreciation from audiences that aren't as familiar with her at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this being the final um, physical moment that we see Adams um, is the perfect note to end with the Ashley character because while she's gone through this difficult ordeal, she comes back around to the Ashley that we know and love and you sort of know in your heart that she's going to be fine and that has a lot to do with Adams because she doesn't leave you devastated she leaves you aware like knowledgeable of the character that she's been playing the whole time and that she's not going to be fully destroyed by it and that's why I think I enjoy this as sort of the ending for Adams because it it feels so well-rounded and makes for such a great character arc throughout the entire film for her to play with. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley is not going to be wrecked by this for the rest of her life. This is something that is obviously going to live with her, but she's still Ashley at the end of the day. She Mm -hmm. still has like, like I said, this is not enough to dash away her, her cheeriness and her hope. She is still, she, she's persevering in the face of just extreme adversity and there is still a light inside her and it is it's it's a really sort of inspiring ending for as much as it can be considering what she's just gone through like it is it is a strangely hopeful ending Mm -hmm. all things considered yeah and i think it becomes that more much more hopeful when you see sort of how destroyed the Johnson family is without her there. I mean, you see um, the mother character sort of destroyed by no longer having this grandchild. You see Johnny come to his senses finally and want to try, as he says, try again with her. And you see the father finally create this wooden thing for Peg. So I think the family just, even though she can irritate them at times, the you just see how necessary she is for the family to continue and how sort of sometimes these possibly outwardly annoying characters or people are the sort of glue that holds this very fragile family together. That, that's just exactly how I was going to put it. Like, she is the glue that's holding everything together and when when this tragedy strikes, just like nobody knows what to do with themselves. Everyone mm-hmm. is just sort of it, it, like it feels like everyone is sort of drifting through this house. Uh, uh, even like just everyone is affected to to the utmost degree. And it's because Ashley is such a a bright presence that that her absence feels like all of the light has been sucked out of 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 the space and mm-hmm. it's it's exactly what you want in a character like this is to have her pre- her absence felt so strongly 
in like there's not that much more of the movie after the hospital scene uh it's probably what like 10 minutes if that yeah uh but mm-hmm. like there's such a stark difference uh with her gone from the movie that it it makes you so much more appreciative of the time that we were able to spend with her uh for the rest of the movie that like it's it's just it's it's a really good movie and a really smart movie that i think knows how to play its hand exactly right uh especially with the ashley character and i'm just very thankful that they found an actress that uh was able to completely embody everything that they wanted in the character like i i I would imagine because i think her audition was uh the the monologue that you mentioned from the opening where she's uh just like chattering away at madeline um i think i read something like that like that was what she auditioned with and i can just imagine someone uh in that room just being like oh this is we found her this is it like cancel every other audition this is our ashley and they just they just nailed it so perfectly with the casting here. I can't imagine anyone else in this role. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have to agree. Um, she's sort of the perfect choice. And I'm very glad that she was cast because I feel like we wouldn't have the Amy Adams today, whether you like her films currently or not. Um, we wouldn't have Amy Adams if it weren't for this film. Yes, I, I feel like she may have had a breakout later on, but like she wouldn't have had enchanted. Certainly. Like, I, I don't think that would have been a, like the lead in a live action Disney movie. I don't think she gets, uh, if she doesn't have this breakout and, uh, Oscar nomination and just sudden attention all on her. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very thankful for this performance and, and, uh, and the movie in general. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else uh, we want to say about Adam? I just another scene from earlier on that I wrote down that I love when when she's doing Madeline's nails, uh, and and she's talking. She just suddenly goes, you know, I suddenly have the urge to drink this, uh, and, and it's just it's a, a, a it's just a very it's adorable. It's 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 great. It's just it's just more great comedic sweetness from her that i don't have any grander thesis about i just it's a it's a very good moment that i think she she makes fun i guess yeah and and that's another example that moment of how she really makes everything she says feel off the cuff and not scripted i mean you yourself even questioned were was the joke moment even scripted I would imagine so similar, everything is scripted, but just the way Adams delivers it makes it feel not scripted and sort of improvised. And that's a very great thing to to contain as an actor because sometimes when you're reading and just giving this dialogue, it can feel so rehearsed or so just written, but she makes everything she says feel totally natural and make absolute sense for the character. Yeah, especially for a character that talks so much. Like that mm-hmm. that can be really tough to pull off and and I think she does a great job with it 
from the very beginning, like from her opening lines, it just feels so lived in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else or would we like to move on and talk about some of the rest of the movie? Um, I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into Adams more, but I would definitely yeah. like to discuss more of the film. Yes. Okay. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Okay, so where do we want to start off? with uh, uh, the movie at large? Um, I mean, I think the rest of the ensemble would be a good place to start. And specifically, I feel like I need to discuss Celia Weston. Yeah. Who's just sort of one of those performers who I'm still waiting for like that moment, for that, whatever medium it is, and it doesn't matter to me. I just need someone to really, the way Adam's talents are using this, to really just exploit the excellence that is Celia Weston. Because yeah. even just based solely on this film, she does so much with so little. I mean, just the 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 reactions to everything, being called the wrong name and how sort of, suddenly that impacts her the scene with her alone in her bed post the hospital is just a quick moment but that upsets me as well and just sort of how she keeps control over the entire household as they are crumbling apart I'm just really impressed with Celia Weston and yeah I just I love her in so many things she's one of those she's like she's like what Marco Martindale or Anne Dowd used to be where if you know, you know, but more people should know of C.D. Weston's greatness. Yeah. Watching this, I had like in the in the span of the past few months seen just randomly a few things that she was in. Uh, I, I rewatched Talented Mr. Ripley. I watched In the Bedroom. I just like had a lot of Celia Weston coming at me from all these angles. And then watching this where she gets like a, a bigger role where she gets to actually like do something substantial was 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 really nice to see her uh in this role uh i i yeah she's great her her sort of like fraying attempts to keep everyone together and keep everything uh in check even though like one of the first things we see of her is her uh taking a cigarette from the top of the fridge and then telling her son that there aren't any cigarettes left in the house uh, while she's just like doing work in the kitchen, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's another type of thing. Like I was saying with the religion, that you could see a movie like this turning its nose down at a woman like her. Uh, I mean, it, the, a movie could could absolutely turn its nose down at any one of this cast, and it doesn't really to anyone. But like, this is absolutely a character that you could see being reduced to just a stereotype of a southern woman of an aging matriarch that disapproves of sort of everyone for her own little reasons and and has her her little you know hobbies and such and the movie doesn't ever delve into that with her again 
it makes her just as real of a person as everyone else is that has her own struggles and has her own uh, uh, sort of flawed relationships with everyone in her family, but she still loves them all very much. And it's very clear that she loves them all, even when they're being uh, rude or or inconsiderate. Uh, she's still, you know, she still cares about all of these people. Uh, and it's it's really heartening to see that in a a family where tensions can get so high over very little uh to have this character that still cares for everyone and and uh shows it in her own way i i think it's she's like as much as ashley is kind of the glue that keeps everyone together uh peg is sort of the the foundation that everything is laid upon and you know that if she wasn't there uh, to keep like when when Ashley's going through uh, her contractions and everything, Peg is the one that's calling nine one one and is telling Johnny what to do and is telling Eugene what to do and is like telling everyone what to do without uh, raising her voice, without yelling, without making it more stressful than it needs to be. Like she's still calm and just walking everyone through this situation, and and she she really does such a good job of again making this character feel like an actual well-rounded character and not what she easily could have been sort of drifting into the background and letting the more uh more layered characters take over uh Mm -hmm. and and she doesn't uh give them the air to do that she still holds her own and it's good stuff it's very good stuff yeah no i I agree with absolutely everything you said and I mean I've definitely seen my fair share of Celia Weston projects and just in every I mean in the early 2000s like she was in so many great films I mean as you said in the bedroom she was in Far From Heaven which I forget about oh I forgot she was in that yeah she's uh yeah (laughs) she's one of the one of those ladies one of the disapproving women exactly and it's just i mean it's it's character actresses like her that sort of when you think about films of the late 90s and early 2000s she's very she's just a great example of how necessary these smaller cameo roles are to the overall films and i'm glad that she got well she didn't get as much attention as amy adams i'm glad that because of the attention that amy adams got that people were able to witness this really great work from Celia Weston as well. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's it's great stuff. Um, who else? Like, I I I truly I'm looking at this cast list that I have written down, and I'm seeing four branches that we can all we can go off into uh, that all se- seem more or less equally appealing to talk about. So. Uh, I will let you guide the discussion because I'm truly at a loss for who I want to talk about because everyone's yeah. so good. Exactly. Well, I feel like just to, in sense of like building up to the the actual, I guess, leads of the film, we could talk about sort of uh, Ben McKenzie and Scott Wilson together. Yeah. Like I don't, I, I have stuff to say about them, but not as much as the other two, but yeah. I think both do really good jobs and just sort of knowing what their careers would turn into 
it's an interesting experience or I guess what some of them mainly Ben McKenzie had been prior to this having been on the OC oh um, yeah <laughs> but no they're really good as well and Ben McKenzie's sort of playing a character that I would expect someone like I don't know Scoot McNary or probably someone younger to be playing nowadays but he's yeah. really effective and because he has a very complicated role to play because I'm never sure if you're supposed to like him. I I think he's he's the most abrasive character by far. He's this uh, sort of stunted, standoffish. Like he he deeply resents everyone in his family, including his own wife. And he, you know, like his only sort of moments of solace are this very menial job that he works packaging, like glassware and having these these random conversations with his co-workers and like that's kind of his life is is going back and forth from this job where he has a, a like a moderately good time and good relationship with these people and his home life where he just feels like nobody really understands him and mm-hmm. and Madeline is kind of the first person that tries to understand him it feels like and he doesn't know how to handle that and and i think the movie doesn't paint in in the broad strokes of liking or disliking this character i think it just presents him as a very troubled very flawed character that is not so far gone like he he it, it feels like such a low bar to set that he sees this National Geographic show about uh, Ashley's favorite animal and tries to record it for her. And that, like, that's such a, a sweet moment. That, like, it, it feels like he's he's doing the bare minimum in that moment. And yet, from what we know of him, it it, it paints a different light on the character from what we've seen. Um, and yet, he is still... He still does some pretty terrible stuff in this movie uh Mm -hmm. and and like i i wouldn't say that he i mean obviously him making a move on madeline is bad and gross in its own right he's married and about to have a child uh but like i don't know i i in in that scene and kind of throughout the movie i get that she's like this very sort of affectionate woman that doesn't quite uh see her the the aftermath of her own actions she she kind of just does these things and like i definitely got the same sort of vibe uh throughout the movie that like is she flirting with him and and, and i was actually kind of up in the air about that up until he makes the move and she backs away and i think that's smart on the movie's behalf to lead up to that moment and, and to have that feel like an action that the character would take in the moment based on the sort of signals he feels like he's been getting. And, and I think it, it's a, it's a complicated scene for so many reasons. Uh, But I don't think it's quite like, like a, a damning scene entirely. It it, it is a, it's just complicated because he's a complicated person that is struggling with all these emotions that he has no idea how to how to handle or how to deal with and and all these sort of like he feels sort of belittled in his own home and he feels like 
I don't know. He's just like, he's a complicated person that does some bad shit and does some good shit. And I don't think the movie's asking us one way or another to fully like him or fully dislike him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think, I guess that's similar to all the characters in the film um, where it's not really coming down either side and it's also not asking you to make a judgment. It's just sort of asking you to experience the shifts and movements of the characters and just sort of change your mind from scene to scene. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm just noticing that this was Mackenzie's film debut. Oh, was it really? Yeah, I mean, he'd been a teen star in like the OC for like, two years prior to this but this is his first film um and it's it it may i mean i don't it doesn't come across as a sort of this is my first i've never been in a film before and um, he just plants himself so excellently into the universe and it's just another great pillar to the re like i think the really strong part of this film is its ensemble and yeah. Because there's just so much more than Amy Adams, because with each other ensemble member, they're working so excellently opposite her, but also not with her in certain scenes. That I'm just really impressed by how well rounded this ensemble is. And maybe were there a nomination in some society for its ensemble, I would have been very happy with that because I think this is a great example of strong ensemble work. It really is. Like I said, I'm looking at the cast list. I, I'm sort of frozen with, with panic as to who to talk about because there's so much to talk about for everyone. Even a performance like Scott Wilson's that is so restrained that like mm-hmm. it feels he, like he basically might as well not have any lines in the movie. That's how quiet this character is. And yet it's maybe it's like, one of the ones I've been thinking about the most since watching the movie, because again, he's playing a very, very realistic type of person that we all know. Just the, the stoic patriarch that like doesn't have a lot to say. And so he doesn't say a lot, but when he does talk, you know that like it means something because he's, he's, he's choosing to speak in the moment. uh, And and he, he he just he's so content with his life to just spend his time down in the basement doing his woodworking. Uh, but like all of his woodworking is for the family. It, it, it's not a sort of menial hobby that he's just doing to pass the time. He's doing it like that's how he expresses his love. But it's still at such a a remove from everyone else because he's he's like the only one that goes down in the basement and it's it's not something that like anyone else in the in the family ever really interacts with. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just this thing that he spends his time doing very quietly, very efficiently, and uh, it, it's just like I don't know. He, he just feels so so calm. He he's like the one calm presence in this entire household, even even to the detriment of like situation. Like again. The, his 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 daughter-in-law is going into labor and he's very calmly making sure everyone in the car is is all right and and uh before he mm-hmm. drives off and it's just like he's he's a very mannered 
very slowly paced person that takes his time and and it it's again you kind of need everyone in this family to counterbalance everyone else and if you take away any one member it all falls apart and you need him to be this calming presence and like who else i mean there there's countless actors of a certain age that you could have slotted into this role but i think scott wilson has such a a gentleness to him uh in in his older age in his older performances uh that like very few actors of his generation could really replicate and just he conveys so much in just a single look and i don't know i just i just i really love him in this i think it's really really interesting work for a character that we know the least about out of everyone in this family mhm yeah i mean i don't think i can say anything extra on top of what you said about wilson because you've sort of said everything that i would have definitely said myself um yeah. but yeah he's he's it's very sweet and i think this the scene between him and madeline again another short scene that comes at the very end of the film and in his man of many of very few words sort of his response to i found your screwdriver is very much like i guess i was screwing um and it's yeah. just sort of like like here's an example of like what he has built for his family and that i guess that's sort of his reaction that we get to the lost because what he's built is now not going to be used for anything because the child is gone and that's sort of a, a, a sort of I guess as sad a moment as you would get from him and yeah. he plays that really well yeah like in the sort of montage almost of of the family reacting to this all you get uh Peg lying in bed you have the sort of confrontation between Johnny and George where he throws the wrench at his head or whatever. And you have Eugene doing his woodwork. Like he he's he's just right back to it. He's obviously going through it as they all are, but like that's that's how he's processing this is by going about his daily routine, going about his his own hobbies and just taking his time. And, and it's a very introspective performance that like does not draw attention to itself whatsoever uh but it's it's captivating whenever the movie chooses to focus on him because you know it's saying something when it does because mm-hmm. uh they they just it again such a smart script uh to to know exactly how to play everyone to the degree that it does and was this also a debut script Am I remember? I, yeah, it looks like it. It looks like this was he. He had done like a a short student film, the uh, uh, uh the screenwriter Angus McLaughlin, but like this is his debut uh, the uh, like feature screenplay, which is wild. That that mm-hmm. you have this level of confidence and this just like mastery of character on to so many degrees to so many varying degrees it's it's really impressive yeah no absolutely um i mean looking at what angus would do after this there's nothing really 
of note. <laughs> yeah. That is sort of in a comparable sense. And yeah, it's a very strong script and maybe a very underrated script, I would say, because it doesn't shout out for you to notice it's a really good script. But then when you think about all of the character beats and how they really work alongside each other, that just shows the strength of the screenwriting here. Yeah. And like, if this movie had like come out a few years later, you could see this getting sort of painted, like the script getting painted in the sort of like, oh, it's sort of like, a Juno type thing where it has all these quirky, like, like the, how, how movies like that, like little miss sunshine get sort of reduced down to the whimsy, to the quirkiness, to the tweeness. And like this movie definitely has its, its oddities. It has the whole subplot or not even the subplot. Like it's kind of the driving force the for B the plus. opening. Yeah the, yeah. the B plot about this artist that, that has these like I, I don't I don't even know what it is, some sort of like o- obvious mental issues that uh make him believe that he's getting these like divine visions in his dreams about an alternate version of the the American Civil War uh with uh like dogs and computers and everyone has their penis out and all the the slaves look like him because he can't paint black faces he 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 doesn't know how so they it's all just like black bodies with his face painted on top of them and all these like entirely fictionalized uh lines of scripture that he's he's painting on all these paintings and like that whole stuff is bonkers it's it's it feels it, it again in a lesser script, it would feel so jarringly out of place relative to this very grounded uh, uh, family story that we're getting. But it's it's such a confident script and such a a well integrated script that it can take this character and his wild ideas that it it really focuses in on and make it feel like just another layer to this town without making it like quirky in in the way that like the detractors of some of those other movies feel that those movies get overly quirky yeah like the scenes with the artists aren't detrimental to the overall quality of the film and that has a lot to do with angus's script because they definitely i feel like they definitely introduce you to the quirks and oddities of this certain community um but then you also get a moment from the artist's sister um before she drops off Madeline home where she reveals that while they may be an odd community they do still all care for each other because she wishes her um apologies for the loss of the family member so you sort of it doesn't judge any of its characters and um, it just really integrates every, I feel like every single minute of this film is necessary for it. Like I don't, there's no scene or moment where I would be, where I would question its inclusion because it just really worked for me, at least it really works as an overall compelling picture. Oh yeah, exactly. Like those characters, the, the artist and his sister, 
do kind of come the closest to the movie feeling like it is looking down on a character. And like obviously that character does have some like he he's he has some pretty intense moments of anti-Semitism that like are are condemned by the movie. Like it's looking down on him for that for sure. But like it it, it still paints him as a a deeply troubled person who is being exploited rather than getting the treatment that he needs. And uh, the the moment with the sister you mentioned as well feels like, like that's a character that we have kind of at, at this point seen in a sort of flat character up until this point. But even she gets that moment of, of genuine connection with Madeline. Uh, even though she's exploiting her brother in, in some, some pretty, some pretty damning ways. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, again, all a testament to this script for, mm-hmm. for having the strength of its convictions and having the, the generosity to its own characters, even down to these minor characters that don't inherently request it by by the nature of the story being told it still mm-hmm. has the heart to give them sympathy and give them uh humanity even though it mm-hmm. doesn't have to yeah no absolutely um and i guess to continue on the i we mentioned her name just there i feel like the last sort of major ensemble member who we've not fully discussed is and uh, bet davidson is madeline yeah and um i i have such an a weird like the where my relationship with m bet davison as a performer began as sometimes always confuses me because she's just sort of a face that i've seen in so many things yeah um, from things i guess like schindler's list or um matilda yeah, two or... wildly different movies and characters, but like exactly, and those are like among her first too. She had, she has like one other credit before Schindler's List, I think. Yeah, she's yeah. in Army of Darkness is her first movie, the uh, the mm-hmm. third Evil Dead movie, and then goes right into Schindler's List from that, uh, and then Murder in the First and Feast of July, and then mm-hmm. Matilda right after that. Like it is, yeah, it is a very interesting first few years of her film career um mm-hmm. but then, i yeah. i am such a fan of emma davidson in this like it's such a again speak about an underrated performance i think it's one of my favorites from that year simply because of just just her physicality throughout i mean she goes through so many different emotions where she's first sort of cut off guard by Ashley and then you quick they quickly become such good friends and then the major betrayal that her character inflicts on Ashley the film doesn't necessarily punish her for that but you sort of as the audience sort of I guess with your viewing of her sort of punish her for that because the love for Ashley is so strong but I think because of the work that Davidson has done um, I don't fully despise Madeline for the truly selfish choice that she made to exploit 
a person rather than care for someone that cares for her. Um, but she's just so incredible and I'm such a fan of this performance. Yeah. And you, every time I return to it, I mean, she she very much is, I guess, the lead of the film, if there if there had to be one, because it's sort of what it begins with her and sort of ends with her. And yeah, she she's and like she's, the 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 uh uh the vantage point for the audience coming into mm-hmm. this family. She's the new perspective. She's the change in, in this uh uh situation that we are kind of following. Uh, yeah. yeah, but I just really love her work, and I wish people would discuss her more because, like Weston, she is underrated because she's not Amy Adams in this film. Yes, yes, uh, it's a great performance. That, like you said, as a character that is, uh, at as with everyone else for the most part. Is a, is a character that you can't fully get behind, but also you can't fully hate. Like, her whole relationship with Ashley is so fascinating because it, it's its own sort of little microcosm of the same sort of exploitation of uh, the artist whose name I, I forget. Uh, because, like, she sees this, this uh, woman that is, like, not a person she's used to in her big city life and sort of treats her with the same sort of fascination almost like like she she cares about her obviously but she doesn't quite i don't know it it, it feels like she's coming at the relationship with Ashley with just less uh it, it it's she feel like what am i trying to say she doesn't seem to have as much of an interest in Ashley as Ashley has with her. Like she is, she seems much more happy and willing to talk about herself when Ashley asks her these questions than she is to ask the same sort of questions about Ashley. Like she asks her bigger questions in general about like her feeling about the the baby and her relationship with Johnny. And like she asks her these sort of, larger questions uh uh with with like social grandeur or whatever but she's not really interested in her as a day-to-day person she isn't like she's not ever the one initiating small talk with her and Mm -hmm. it's it's a very subtle thing that they're doing with her but like it, it feels like madeline feels like she's above ashley and and she's barely hiding it uh, in the same way that she feels like she's kind of above everyone in, in this in this family in this small town uh, in, in ways that are proven wrong to her uh, and proven wrong to her in kind of the most damning ways uh, when the the movie makes go, goes to great lengths to show us that like she truly does not know who her husband is as a person she knows very little about George. And this whole excursion really brings that to light. Like, they got married, it's what, a few weeks after they met? A week. It's a week, yes. It's a week after they met at this uh, this auction that she was running at her, her gallery. Uh, and it's 
it's a very interesting characterization for ostensibly our protagonist to have her make maybe the the most uh damning decisions and she's she ditches ashley's birth to go secure a deal with this racist artist because like not for any particular monetary gain either she just really fucking wants to exploit this guy and and is incensed at the idea that someone else is going to get him and then like to make matters worse while she's there with this anti-semitic mentally ill artist she makes some offhand comment about like oh the other guy that you just signed a contract with well you know he's jewish right and it's Mm -hmm. like wow she's she's really kind of kind of awful in these moments and again like i was saying way earlier with with amy adams where like this sort of turn to a darker uh moment for the character in the hands of a different actor that is not sown the seeds throughout i i think it would feel like a kind of jarring turn for the character it would feel out of place for this woman that we've been following but it doesn't because we've been seeing her as this flawed woman that has very high opinions about herself and about the uh uh the importance of her just the importance of her not just of, of her work in the art world but just like she has very high opinions of herself and very low opinions about other people even when she's being kind to them and mm-hmm. It is such a a very thin tightrope to have to walk, but she does a really good job of making the character, just like Johnny, not loathable, but not entirely likable by the end of it either. The uh, Her and George driving home is like, I don't know, you, you do not hope for their relationship to, to continue, uh, which is a tough thing to have to make work for your main characters, but uh, mm-hmm. they do, they, they make it, they make it work. Yeah. No, like that, the phone call scene between George and Madeline is so crushing because like, as you say, it's finally George revealing his true self and that while she may think he similarly wants to judge his family because he's moved into sort of a different universe than them. He does actually care for his family and that what she has done in how she reveals to him that she was only there for the artist. And that's the only reason that she met his family. It it actually hurts him because he cares for his family, no matter how closed off or no matter how outgoing they are, he actually cares for his family and the fact that she would choose to do this is so hurtful to him and that's why like you I feel like his words really do affect Madeline by the end and you just sort of see her almost trying to build back up her reputation that she somehow imagined she had with the family and Dick and Beth just plays these very challenging difficult moments I would say really effectively and Similarly to Adams makes you still care for her character because 
you you know her and that you don't hate her. So you almost want the marriage to succeed as well because of what she showcased prior to this. Yeah. Her conclusion, it, I guess. It's a really tough ending, I, I think, because you do want both of these people to be happy. But the movie, like, we don't really, as soon as they, they get to the house, we rarely see them interacting with one another. This ostensibly married couple that is, that's happy together. We almost never see them interacting at all uh, for most of the movie. And, and like over the course of the movie, uh, uh, as he's interacting with these people from his hometown, with his family, she's learning all these things about him that she doesn't know. Like, she doesn't know that he sang with the church or that he even sings in general. Like she kind of scoffs at the idea at first. She like, there's all the, uh, there, there's, I don't remember quite what it is, but there's a conversation uh, between her and Ashley where Ashley asks her, asks her some question about George. And then the scene moves on. Like someone else walks in the room uh, and, and they move on before they can dwell on that. But like, it's a question that you get the sense that uh, that uh, Madeline doesn't know the answer to, and it's a very simple question. I don't I don't remember what it is for the life of me, but mm-hmm. it's a very simple question that she should know the answer to, and she just doesn't because she doesn't know who this person is. She doesn't know this guy, uh, and and that's like that's what the end of the movie is. Is I, I feel personally what it's showing us is that like she has realized this too late and, and it's not like they are like either one of them is a bad person or a bad partner. They just went into things. Yes. They're bad for each other because they went into thing, into things way too fast and didn't get the chance to realize that they're bad for each other until you know, they went through some pretty tough shit together. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the ending is—it's one of those ones that could present as you not having to think about. But I think the more it sits with you, the more sort of of a knock at it, like a sort of overwhelming thing it is because basically everyone's every character's ending is in such a sort of easily breakable place but sort of feels partially repaired yeah um, but the ending of georgia mallon feels probably the most fractured because you've fully realized how sort of how sort of unknowable either one of them was to each other and that maybe they were just driven by their passion um, physically versus mentally where now they have so many questions and whether they're going to actually try to take the time to answer them is, while a question not the film aims to answer is something that you're sort of left with as you finish the film. Yeah, yeah, it is. It doesn't read initially as an ambiguous ending, but I think it is, it's a very ambiguous ending because... The whole movie is about family and relationships, and it leaves you very, very 
uncertain about the future of this particular relationship that we've been more or less following. Um, mm-hmm. Also, to take things wildly off track, I just want to mention, because we uh, happened to mention the uh, the debut performances for uh, M. Beth Davids and Amy Adams and Ben McKenzie, I, I don't want us to move on from the fact that Alessandro Nivola's debut performance was as Pollux Troy in Face Off, uh, which is... <laughs> I think what I had seen him in first, so I will always associate him with being Pollux Troy in Face Off. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just I wanted to bring that up because it is like that's such a a wild performance that him being in that and this and playing such wildly different people. I I genuinely watching this could not place him as that character, even though I know it's that actor. Uh, it's yeah a... I think that's the thing of Alessandro Navola is he's just so um undefinable he, he fits the mold like, of whatever movie he's in exactly like the 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 man playing George here is not the same man from disobedience yet it somehow is because they're both Alessandro Navola Navola but yeah, yeah he's he he is a I mean I guess we haven't spoke really about him but there's not I feel like we've spoken about him yeah there's not as much speaking to about say. Madden, but he he's very good in it I mean it's not a career best it's not like something like Disobedience which while a film focused on two women he's the person who I come out thinking about when I think of that film yeah um, but yeah, a fan of, again, another strong ensemble member, Alessandra Nivola, is acting really wonderful. As I said earlier, opposite Adams in that hospital scene. She would not be as strong were she not to have him as a screen partner. The small moments he has with Ben McKenzie, he's very strong in their very quick argument, not really argument, vocally, is very good. And then everything that he's doing with Davidson is just sort of, depressing and really like sort of diff- really difficult to watch because you've seen as we've said this relationship basically realize it was never one to begin with yeah yeah it was a a quick fling that sort of tumbled its way into a marriage mm-hmm. uh, i have some questions about a couple scenes uh and mostly i just mean the opening where you have the the old men just like shouting or singing or something or like mm-hmm. it's like a weird shout sing what's up with that um i mean i guess it's maybe trying to show you oddities that will be shown in the art that madeline's obsessed with throughout the film I maybe guess. I don't know. I guess it's an opening similar to the other Amy Adams film that you will talk about. Yeah. Not as not as not as um off-putting, but um <laughs> an odd opening to an Amy Adams film, let's say. Yeah. I, I'm I'm I haven't seen the movie, but I'm aware of the I'm aware of that sequence. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't quite know what's going on there, and I don't think we're supposed to I mean obviously we're not supposed to, that never comes up. I think you're right. It's just a sort of sm- quirky, small town America type thing. Um, and then another sequence, very tangentially similar in the in that I wrote them down in my notes and put a star by them because they they 
took me by surprise without really say like like I don't quite know what they're getting at, but it, it's uh, the the sequence. I don't remember what immediately follow or what immediately precedes it, but it's just a bunch of static shots of empty rooms in the house that like hold for a few seconds. Uh, and, and it just comes kind of out of nowhere. Uh, and I don't quite know what it's getting at uh, beyond just maybe a, a bit of artistic flair uh, to mm. show like the house in its quieter moments. The, the fact that this, sort of family exists even without the members of the family like it, it is still present but i don't quite yeah. know beyond that well i think i think the shots you're talking about uh precede the actually introduction from what i remember i, I think, think it might be a, i think it's a bit later into the movie i don't quite oh. know i don't know it, it it doesn't matter it's just something i wanted to bring up uh okay <laughs> maybe is I'm it wrong. just <laughs> is, is some sort of montage sequence i i don't really remember mm-hmm. but it's interesting uh and it's it's a nice like this isn't a movie where the direction calls that much attention to itself but you do mm-hmm. get a couple moments like that you have the the montage of johnny at work that also feels like it's it's a bit like debut director showing off what he can do uh, mm-hmm. uh but really i just i don't know i just wanted to mention that <laughs> I don't have that much more written down in my notes. Do you have anything else that you wanted to talk about? Um, In terms of the film, I think we've very much discussed the basically every single major element of it to yeah. the point of the length, the running time of the film itself. That's a good <laughs> point. We should probably move on then and talk about some Oscar stuff. Mm-hmm. Here are the nominees for the Best Supporting Actress. Amy Adams in Junebug. Catherine Keener in Capote. Frances McDormand in North Country. Rachel Weisz in The Constant Gardener. Michelle Williams in Brokeback Mountain. So this uh, this had, had a pretty good showing in terms of... Uh, uh, why am I forgetting the word that I use all the goddamn time on this podcast? Precursors. I, I just I kept thinking prequels. They're, they, these are prequels. Um, yeah, th- this movie had a pretty good uh, showing with the precursor awards throughout the season. Uh, starting off at Sundance, where it premiered, uh, it plays in competition for the dramatic prize, which just means it played in competition. Um, which it loses to Iris Axe's Forty Shades of Blue. Uh, Amy Adams wins a special jury prize, uh, and then. It's like they gave out a special jury prize to a few different people. Her for her performance, uh, Ryan Johnson for making Brick. Uh, 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 I abbreviated this and I can't uh, 
parse my own. Oh, uh, Miranda July for me and you and everyone we know. I just wrote the initials and I was trying to figure out what those initials stood for. Uh, and uh, Lou Taylor Pucci, I think is how that would be pronounced for Thumbsucker. Uh, mm. So a, a few different special jury prizes for people that would go on to other things. Like they, they did a good job of picking out some of those breakout names that, that would have actual careers beyond that. Uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, she gets nominated with SAG. Uh, it's the Oscar five that that get nominated. Uh, so there's not as much to talk about there. At Critics' Choice, she wins uh, Best Supporting Actress in a tie with Michelle Williams. Uh, the nominees there, again, it's the five that are nominated for Oscars, plus Maria Bello for History of Violence. The Indie Spirit Awards, Amy Adams wins uh, for Supporting Actress. It's nominated for Best First Screenplay and for the Producers Award, which is an award that they get, give out or gave out. I don't know if it's still going on for uh, producers that made, that like produced multiple uh, uh, hit movies, hit indie movies mm. in the year, uh, because the producer, Mike S. Ryan, had also produced Palindromes, the Todd Salons mm-hmm. film. Uh, at the Gotham Awards, uh, Amy Adams wins Best Breakthrough Actor. And it, uh, it's nominated for Best Breakthrough Director. Uh, what else do I have here? Uh, it's nominated, or it, not nominated, but it makes the special recognition list with the National Board of Review. Amy Adams wins Supporting Actress with the National Society of Film Critics. Uh, nominated Best First Film with New York Film Critics. Adams is a runner-up at Los Angeles Film Critics. Uh, nominated with the at the Satellite Awards, a bunch of critics nominations and wins for her, uh, and uh, some more stuff that I have written down that's not as as much. It, it's a, a you know for a movie this small, not mm-hmm. bad at all. Really, truly no. not bad showing. Uh, in a way that like I've covered some smaller movies that were still able to make it to the Oscars, but like it was it was a real like end of the line groundswell whereas this like she had pretty good support throughout the season like this was uh, a movie that was seen early i imagine she got really good reviews out of sundance and was able to build momentum over the course of the year uh mm-hmm. in a way that seriously helped her yeah it's a performance like adams which coming from sundance which which still gets people excited about the festival because very I guess very well not really rarely now but it still happens where you'll get a performance which sort of is lauded there and continues its buzz throughout the year yeah um, which makes absolutely sense based on the quality of her work here that she would while maybe not get in every precursor like she would do with later nominations she got the right amount of uh, ground of support and also passion to get this nomination even with a snub at the golden glows which does that even matter yeah who was the who who was the replacement at the globes that year do you have that pulled up Um, i I, I can look it up if i i mean i want to think it's someone like from the producers or something oh man yeah because will didn't will ferrell get a nomination for supporting actor or something that's wild that's maybe it was maria bello that's plausible. Let's see. Uh, no, it was. Uh, there were two. There were two because they took out uh, Catherine Keener as well. The other nominees were 
Scarlett Johansson in Matchpoint and Shirley MacLaine mm. in In Her Shoes. I mean, both of those are really good performances as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, not... it's a good year for supporting actresses. And yeah, yeah. obviously at that point, Shirley MacLaine has a considerable more star power than Amy Adams. Uh, and as to Scarlett Johansson, who had been like building a name for herself over uh, the past few years with like lost in translation mm-hmm. and stuff like the the globes mm-hmm. don't as often go for the breakthrough narrative as much as they like the uh uh, uh re- rewarding someone that is a star in, in mm-hmm. a way in some way or another uh so exactly it makes sense why she would miss the globe nomination but like even with that she's nominated at sag wins critics choice in a tie wins the indie spirit wins National Society of Film Critics. Like, that is a a very good showing for a performance like this in a movie like this. Like, you really have to hand it to them for for getting it right at the time and not this being a a performance that we look back on and like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if she had won something along the way? Uh, Mm -hmm. She did. She won several somethings. That's good for her. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, she was going against um, a person who won both SAG and Golden Globe. So that's a very killer combination of precursors to yeah. try winning against. And I would imagine also BAFTA, right? Like, um, No, because Rachel no. Weisz was nominated in lead that ah, year after. Yes. So, oh, uh, they went for a Tendiway Newton. That's good. I mm-hmm. for a, That's a, a bad move. Crash is... Like I'm not breaking any new ground by saying Crash is bad, but she is one of the good parts of that movie. Uh, It's a a a, the character is is not, you know, a a good well written character, but it's a good performance with what she's given. I feel like like her and Don Cheadle are maybe the two performers that escape that movie unscathed. Uh, I was hoping that we wouldn't have to mention. I mean, I know we're discussing 2005, but I was hoping that we would not discuss Crash. We we can leave the conversation there and not have to address it for the rest of the episode. I'm more yeah. than fine to uh, uh to leave that one in the rear view, as it were. <laughs> uh, but yeah, do we want to talk about some of these other nominees here? I have not seen North Country yet, uh, but these other ones. I have I have thoughts. I have and I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear your thoughts as well on on the lineup that we got. Yeah. Well, in anticipation, I the only one that I rewatched was Brokeback because any excuse to watch Brokeback, I'll take it. And yeah. um, but I have seen Capote, all the other three in at least the last year and a half. So because I, I, as I mentioned to you, I'd rewatch all the performances when um the film experience blog did their 2005 supporting actress right, smackdown right. and um was sort of impressed how strong this lineup is overall i think while maybe francis has probably the most sort of boring not really boring but like sort of it's not as exciting a role she still does really well and provides the energy yeah. that you know and love from francis mcdormand yes uh, obviously like I I I see that it's a Francis McDormand performance. I not as a pejorative. I know what I'm getting into. 
I know that it's gonna be a good time. Not not a, not a good. I don't think North Country is like some light, uh, happy-go-lucky type movie. But like, I I know that that would be a performance that would obviously be doing some good stuff because it's Fran. So yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't use the words um good, fun, exciting when it comes yes. to especially Francis's um role yeah. in the film yeah um but i will leave that to you when you eventually watch it yeah i i, I mean i know it's going to be a good performance is what mm. i was trying to get at obviously like i i know some of the stuff going on there i don't not expecting a good time when i watch mm-hmm. that one obviously <laughs> um but yeah sorry anyway so broke back great you know i'm not breaking ground by saying it's great um michelle is wonderful in it and it still bugs me over 15 years later that anne hathaway's work was was ignored and i think should have been nominated alongside michelle williams i think if you're going to recognize the other three sort of main names for brockback mountain ignoring Anne Hathaway just feels incorrect it does I mean, re-watching, re-watching it that phone call scene between her and Heath Ledger is just like oh it's just she's so wonderful in it and knowing that it's two performances at the same time um, is so interesting I mean knowing that Ang Lee filmed her with the knowledge that she knew about Jack but also filmed her not knowing and then edited the two takes together. It just it creates it's such a vibrant moment later on the film. And it's just, it like, I would have loved, like it would have been a great Anne Hathaway nomination. Again, we're discussing Anne Hathaway again. Once again, um, Anne Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, Michelle Williams, the actual nominee um, is wonderful and makes the line Jack twist, Jack nasty effective because that is a line that could come across as so cheesy but she makes it work and is so excellent I think about the the moment I think of her is when she first notices the physical embrace and how the camera stays with her she walked through the kitchen and you just see this woman break realizing that she's both been lied to but also that she's possibly lost her husband to his and um, feelings for another person yeah it's it is an intense performance and a movie filled with intense performances that like is still able to to draw you in right like all those all those very it's it's so subtle it's such subtle work being done from her and it's it's just great it, it's a movie mm-hmm. i i do owe a rewatch very soon it's a movie I've been not avoiding rewatching, but like I know I really have to be in the right headspace to watch it again. But like, mm-hmm. it is a fantastic film and a fantastic performance, and yeah, I'm glad at least one of them was able to make it in, and they weren't both left by the wayside, uh, or like in favor of the the male leads. I'm glad that her performance was noticed and uh lauded for what she's doing mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe you give it a rewatch once you've seen the Fablemans this year. You know, I have. very much in a yeah. I watched <laughs> it just just this past week, and she's uh, it's it's a wild performance that I'm still mm-hmm. I'm still like formulating my thoughts on. Uh, it it's been several days, and I'm still like, I I don't know. It, it's mm-hmm. have you seen it yet? Um no, I've not. It hasn't come out in my yeah, country I, yet. I couldn't remember if it if it had yet or not, but it is uh I'm I, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on her when it does come mm-hmm. out over there because it's a it's a very captivating performance, that's for certain. And I did like it. I just there's a lot happening that I, I need to sit with that that is mm-hmm. and, and I mean that all in a good way. I, I don't yeah. want that to sound like I'm uh, like I'm harping on her or anything. It's just, it wasn't what I, I was expecting going into it. And, and mm-hmm. that caught me off guard, but it's it's very good work from her as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's one of our greatest. She's uh, She is. And similar to Amy Adams, she this year began her um, long journey of not winning an Academy Award yet. Yes, yes. They're, they're both, they're both on their, on their journey still on their journey all these years later uh we will see we will see what happens mm-hmm. for the both of them um th- they both have promising projects in in the near future I- i'll say mm-hmm. um yeah very curious for her it's peggy lee right who she's playing peggy in, lee. in in the uh, yeah todd, uh haynes. todd haynes yes that whenever that one comes out i might have to uh uh schedule my uh pete kelly's blues episode around that time uh far in the future just because right isn't that a nominee for her am i oh it is a nomination um that if you're (laughs) that the less i say about it the better is it is it good acting no is it a is it choices absolutely <laughs> so. glad to hear it that, that, like more than anything you saying that is uh enough to have me hooked so uh <laughs> i don't know we'll see we'll we'll see about that yeah. one and we'll see about michelle williams in in that in mm-hmm. the future um who else from this from this lineup do we want to talk about next um, I mean, you sort of can't really talk about supporting actresses in 2005 without mentioning all the films that Catherine Keener was in. Yes, and I haven't seen in... all of them, but... Uh... Mm-hmm. So, obviously, she got the nomination for Capote, which I used to sort of despise for its quietness, but then re-watching the film again... I was just so impressed by her subtlety and how her subtlety was very necessary as a screen partner for Philip Seymour Hoffman, who obviously went full into it. And I think I appreciate her work much more than I used to, which I enjoy. Yeah, that's also a movie I owe a rewatch. Probably an easier sit than Brokeback, but it's not like that's not an easy movie. That that is definitely a an intense movie, but like, just relatively speaking, it almost has to be. 
I mean, it it opens up with a murder and it's a film about a journalist speaking to a, a possible murder suspect the whole time. Yeah. So if you think if you think that's more easy to watch than, you know, and men having sex as cowboys, but also one of them dying, that's up to you. Oh, I, I mean, th- they're both pretty intense. I'm not saying either one of them <laughs> is, you know, a romp in the park. Uh, also, I, I, I just made the connection that we have Capote uh, in this race and we have Junebug, uh, which has Scott Wilson, who was in In Cold Blood as uh, one of the killers back in like 1967. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Just an interesting little his, parallel. There. His second film. His yeah. second well, film, I think. Well, we should mention his debut too while we're at it. What, what, where? In, in the Heat of the Night. Oh, right. I, in forgot, both... he's... I forgot he's in that. That's... Yeah, so he had In the Heat of the Night and In Cold Blood in the same year as wow. his debut. Wow, good for him. And then uh, mm-hmm. do we want to round it out with Celia Weston's debut? What was that? Where Where do we? I don't have. <laughs> Let me pull up her Wikipedia. Just for the I hell of even... it. <laughs> Her film debut is a movie in 1981 called Honky Tonk Freeway. Interesting. I've not seen that. <laughs> Directed by John Schlesinger. Okay. Starring mm-hmm. Beverly D'Angelo and Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy, Terry Garr, Bo Bridges, Daniel Stern. Very interesting. Geraldine Page is in this. Jessica Tandy, who I already said. <laughs> I don't know why I said her name again, like I hadn't just seen it. Uh, wow interesting uh movie that doesn't seem to oh one of the most expensive box office bombs in history losing between no wonder wonder she didn't make a movie for another eight years yeah (laughs) wow oh boy um yeah but anyway back to it Catherine keener yes sorry for that tangent Great in Capote, but also great in The Ballad of Jack and Rose and The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yes. And then uh, just because I also have it written down because she got nominated for all of them uh, with National Society of Film Critics and won for all of them with uh, Los Angeles Film Critics. The other one that she had this year is The Interpreter, which Mm -hmm. got lumped in with all those. Uh, which yeah. I can't off the top of my head remember which movie that is because that's a very so, sort of bland title. Who's in that one? Is that uh... and Nicole Kidman and Sean Penn? Right, Sean Penn is the male lead of that. For some reason, I was yeah. thinking like Clooney, but uh, the no, the last film directed by Sidney Pollack. Oh, right. That's that's why I have that title squared away somewhere as something. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, no, Catherine Keener sort of in 2005 had one of those years of she's in so many things, we'll nominate her for something. And it just happened to be that one of them turned out to be a major Oscar player in other categories that they were like, oh, let us nominate her for this. When I I think that her better performance that year is in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah. Um, and I it's mean, not going to happen. No. Yeah. <laughs> sadly i mean once in a blue moon they go for it uh but uh mm-hmm. I, I i mean that movie did probably like it, that movie probably was very close to a screenplay nomination at the very least so it was being talked about for oscars believe mm-hmm. it or not but yeah yeah i don't think that performance is necessarily one that uh the academy is just going to take seriously in the time mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah 
I mean, also, unfortunately, is this is the at the moment of recording the final time that Catherine Keener has been nominated for an Oscar. Every one of the other nominees has been nominated again. So yeah. someone give Catherine Keener a nominatable role, please. And jo- let it not be Joker, too. Yeah, uh, Jordan Peele did it. He gave her a role that was like perfect for it in a movie that the Oscars were going for. And then uh, just I I still do not understand why there was never like a serious campaign mounted for that performance, because she's very good in that movie and very instrumental Mm -hmm. to making like its key moments work. Yeah, but again, I I feel like I didn't say it loud enough because we're both talking at the same time, but please do not let Joker 2 be Catherine Keener's next Academy Award nomination, please. Oh, man. Oh, man. I I do not know how to feel about Joker two two Jokers, but like, I I know how I feel about it based on the first one, and I'm not looking forward. Yes, to it. I mean I didn't like the first one either, at all, really. But they 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 got me again. Like that first tr- the the first like look of Joaquin Phoenix, the first like images of him on set. I was interested and then slowly as the the like uh campaign the, like the media campaign before it came out I was I lost all interest by the time it opened but I still went to go see it mm-hmm. and and I didn't like it I have bad thoughts I I don't like that movie uh at all and yet everything they've said about Joker 2 colon 2 Jokers which is not the actual title which but it's what I'm going to call it they got me again. They hooked me right mm-hmm. back in. It's a musical with a Lady Gaga Harley Quinn that's go- going to be fucking insane. And just, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see about Joker 2, two Jokers. But anyway, speaking of um, people who would be great as a Joker, the winner. <laughs> yeah. Rachel yeah. Vice. Or yeah, sorry, l- speaking of. Speaking of Academy Award winners like Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker, Rachel Weisz. Yeah, let's let's get into it. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time uh, in preparation for this. Uh, it's it's a good performance. It's a good. Per- it's she's good. She's the most mm-hmm. memorable part of the movie by like a long shot. It's a it's an okay movie. I think I I, I have a lot of issues with it overall. Uh, but I think Rachel Weisz is very good in her role, and it's a, it's like I I I love a good enigmatic character that like we we know is dead, and we see in flashbacks, and we're uh we're trying to put together the pieces of the puzzle. That's always a a narrative structure that I'm a, a fan of, and I think mm-hmm. uh her take on that character trope, her like version of it i think is uh is striking it does stand out among others that have done it but like i don't know if the the rest of the movie as a whole lives up to the promise of what she's doing mm-hmm. uh and, and I, I i don't think i would necessarily have given her my vote uh if if i you know if if i was voting in 2005 i i, I don't think she's the one that I would necessarily I like I, I don't even think like it's a good performance. Uh but I don't necessarily know if it's 
nomination worthy work for me necessarily. Uh, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on her here? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoy Rachel Weiss. I think the biggest issue I have with this winning role is just no, you did just didn't know how much greater Rachel Weiss would become in the decades post this nomination. So, and knowing how long it took her to finally get nominated again, um, it was a bit disappointing for a while feeling like she would be one of those one and done supporting actress winners, which so which so frequently happens. Yeah. And just knowing so much great work was ignored, it sort of made me not sort of have very bad feelings towards this nomination win because it kept her from getting back there again. But I enjoy her work here and I think she's definitely the reason to watch. Oh, absolutely the reason to watch. It it is Mm -hmm. otherwise kind of a movie that I was uh, uh, doing other things during, we'll say. Like, it was a a movie that inspired me to go uh, pick up something else and have it on more in the background, especially once she's just, like, gone from the latter half of the movie almost entirely. Like, Mm -hmm. the flashbacks stop at a certain point, and then... It's mostly just Rafe Fiennes running around being sad at people, being mad at people, being targeted for XYZ reasons of, of uh, pharmaceutical conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those wins that I forget. Yeah. Be- because other than her performance and maybe one or two of the nominations, um. It's just not, you don't just, it's like, I'd say the equivalent, but not as bad as Alicia Vikander 10 years later in sort of yeah. how you forget. It's like, she's actually giving a good performance, Rachel Weiss, unlike for me, Alicia Vikander. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of like, you have to frequently remind yourself that she won for this performance. Yeah. Uh, you know who I bet was really mad watching this movie just like sail Rachel Weiss uh to an Oscar win is uh Kate Winslet because this is absolutely a performance that like like you could see a, a very similar just slightly different shift in the timeline where this is a role that goes to Kate Winslet and Kate Winslet finally wins her Oscar for it and we don't have to have the reader but like she's you know this is in the era where like Kate Winslet really, really wants an Oscar. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, you can tell too. Like she does the whole thing on extras, uh, the whole, a uh, when's Winslet going to win one? Everyone says, yes. um, but like, yeah, this feels so much like a performance that Kate Winslet would have given maybe two or three years prior. If the movie mm-hmm. had been made just a little bit earlier, they would have cast her. And I, yeah. I, I can just imagine Winslet watching this to just being like, and she gets it on her first. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I'm not mad. I'm, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm just uh, joking around. Yeah. Here. I don't. No. I mean, like... this was the year in between her two previous nominations before her win. So, I, yeah, that is definitely. I mean, Kate Wins and Rachel Vice are very much contemporaries of one another. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's sort of a thing to think about. I guess is that what if Kate Winslet had been in this, especially having lost the year prior yeah in eternal sunshine maybe but i think the universe is right 
with Kate Winslet being a leading actress winner, no matter what the film she eventually won for, that makes more sense with um, the timeline than her being a supporting actress winner. I mean, Rachel Weisz got a, a leading actress nomination at BAFTA. Maybe they would have just put her in lead if it was Winslet. Who knows? That's like, now, now I'm unraveling. the Like, the more I tug at it, the more uh, the thread is unraveling. And I don't want to go too deep into that rabbit hole because I don't have the, uh, 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 I have not thought this through to that degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That, uh, do you do you get to discuss the 2005 leading actress category at all? Uh, no, this is my only 2005 movie, actually. Okay. It so, feels, I mean... <laughs> it feels like some of these movies I should be able to talk about. Like, it feels yeah. like a history of violence should be... Uh, but it got the the screenplay nomination. It feels like Mrs. Mm. Henderson presents would be, but it got the costume. The, the costume. Feels like Trans America would be, but it got the song nomination. Uh, Pride and Prejudice got a few. North Country, I think, just got the two acting nominations. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then walk yeah. the line, obviously. Yeah, the acting. Uh, Hustle and Flow gets the song win alongside Terrence mm. Howard, but that's it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a movie with or it's a year with a bunch of almost a bunch a bunch of Cin- Cinderella Man. Feels Cinderella like Man is like a movie I so deeply wish I could talk about because that mm-hmm. opens up so many avenues to talk about Paul Giamatti, to talk about Sideways, to talk about mm-hmm. Ron Howard and Russell Crowe and Renee Zellweger. I mean, I do get to talk about Renee Zellweger eventually, but like mm-hmm. it's. That's a movie that, like, I deeply, deeply wish had not gotten that editing nomination, for purely selfish reasons. That I would, uh, that I would be able to talk about it. Yeah. Oh well, though. Oh well. But anyway, my overall reaction to this uh, actress list is that I think there's really great work here, and that each each actress maybe not my personal choices for the year definitely aren't unforgivable nominations like years prior or years post yeah. would be we're talking lead actress now oh sorry I or supporting actress okay name. no i i just i i i zoned out <laughs> for half a second and then like what you were saying fit for both and i was trying to place like oh what what did i miss um uh, <laughs> oh leading leading actress is not a category this year that i enjoy much at all yeah that <laughs> that tends to be the reputation uh for this particular year uh I'm not a huge fan of Reese Witherspoon and Walk the Line to begin with. Uh, mm. I, I think that's a performance that is not given much to do. Like I, I feel like she is one, not even really a lead of the movie. Like I get that it she has a lot of screen time, but like that that is a a very much a like June Carter Cash gets kind of reduced down to a supportive wife role Mm -hmm. uh for so much of that movie in a way that i think really uh sells the character out uh Mm -hmm. but yeah just in general i'm not a huge fan of that win uh just as as an excuse to talk about some of the other categories this year since this is my only time uh any any others just for the sake of it that we want to talk about um i mean i'll agree that reese is good um, but when I look at the lineup, she's the easy choice for me this year because I don't enjoy Trans America. Charlize is fine. Judy is is 
middling Miramax Judy. And Kira is really good, but she's no Jennifer E. Lee in Pride and Prejudice. So that role has been done much better a decade prior. Um, I guess in terms of the leading actress, I'm still upset to this day that Joan Allen didn't get nominated for The Upside of Anger, which is a legitimately great performance, greatest of her career, and would have been a wonderful final go-ahead. Let's reward this overdue actress, please. I still need to see that one, but like I am all for any type of uh, giving awards to Joan Allen. So like, <laughs> I will tentatively throw my hat in that ring sight unseen, because why the hell not? Mm-hmm. Uh I mean, and I guess while we're talking about leading actress, M. Beth Davidson would have been one of my five nominees this year. Oh, yeah, Had... absolutely. Or if you want to actually ask that question. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, w- I was just about to say, is there anything else we want to say about these Oscars or do we want to move on to our closing thoughts and our uh, sort of verdict here? Um, I mean, Crash Bad, Broke Back Good, Hate All Homophobic People. Um, yes. that made this loss happen. Damn you, uh, Ernest Borgnine and Tony Curtis. And Charlton Heston. Yes, and Charlton Heston, of course. Their love of John Wayne. Oh, boy. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I think with that, uh, let's let's move on to our closing thoughts. So, in your fantasy world, where you get to pick all of the nominees, what nominations would you have given to Junebug. So I would easily give um Amy Adams the nomination and the win. Um, I would give a nomination to M. Beth Davidson for leading actress. I'd have to give a nomination for its original screenplay. I would nominate it for one of the top five films of the year. I love it that much. And were there an ensemble category, easily would have been one of the best ensembles of 2005 for me. Yeah, I I am I am right there with you. I, I think it's a, a no brainer supporting actress. I'm keeping that. And Beth Davids, I'm keeping. Uh, like you said, in in leading actress, I'm kind of surprised that this didn't end up with the screenplay nomination. Uh, because it feels like the kind of movie that would. Uh, but I mean, obviously it didn't because we're talking about it here. Uh, yeah, I I. I would need to look at my favorites from the year, but like this has an absolute shot at being a top five of the year for me. Like it is, it is really just that strong on all levels. And I, I think it's a, it would be a very worthy uh, best picture nomination, even in a year of five. Mm -hmm. I think that'll do it for this episode then. Thank you so much for coming on. I had had a great time talking about this movie with you. Yeah, no, I mean, it was great to come on and talk about a very positive moment in the career of Amy Adams. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we didn't really discuss <laughs> Amy we... Adams. Of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is uh, coming out just a couple weeks after Disenchanted, uh, for better or worse, where we're, where we're all sort of looking back to uh, what has Amy Adams been doing in recent years and... Not not is not not doing so hot, Miss Adams over there. Not not no, so much. Other, yeah, other than sharp objects, it's really been a really sort of a disappointing list of films. Yeah, and 
products, I guess, television as well. Yeah, you take out a rival uh, from 2016 on. Her films are, uh, I, I mean, I know I said we were ending, but like her, her, <laughs> I mean, like even go back to like, so from here, I'm going to go back all the way to 2013. Uh, and there are like two movies that are generally overall agreed on to be like good. And that's her and Arrival. Uh, but in the past almost in complete decade, her movies have been Man of Steel, American Hustle, which does get her an Oscar nomination, but it's divisive. A movie called Lullaby, which I've actually not heard of, but doesn't appear to be anything. Uh, uh, Batman, or sorry, Big Eyes, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, Nocturnal Animals, Justice League, Vice, Hillbilly Elegy, Zack Snyder's Justice League, the, the Snyder Cut, The Woman in the Window, Dear Evan Hansen, and Disenchanted. Oof. Yeah, it's... It's a really impressive list of films. I mean, <laughs> for a decade's like her, worth of work, her a lowest decade's lane. worth, revolutionary lowest lane performance. Um, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, as the internet was obsessed with a couple of weeks ago, it's not something that she can't easily bounce back from. But having seen all of these products, because I'm a fan of Amy Adams, it's been hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting career. Even dipping back before that, you do get good stuff in there like the Master and the Muppets and I don't like the Fighter, but people generally like the Fighter. But like even alongside that, it's Trouble with the Curve and the uh, uh on the road movie that I feel like got bad reviews, but I don't really remember. Uh I'd say mixed. Yeah, mixed reviews. And just uh it's an interesting career. Oh, uh, uh, Nocturnal Animals isn't the only other time I will be talking about uh, an Amy, Mat- Amy Adams movie uh, because she is also, very briefly, in Charlie Wilson's War. Another oh, bad yeah. movie. <laughs> but um, a good performance nominated. Yes, a very good performance from Philip Seymour Hoffman. Very bad movie on pretty much every other level. Mm-hmm. Which is a shame. Yeah. Okay. Again, I think now I think that'll do it for this episode. After we we had our last little Amy Adams tangent. Uh, again, thank you for coming on. I had a great time. Uh, uh, where can people find you and your stuff on the internet? Yeah, thank you for having me on again. Um, you can find most of my stuff on the still in existence Twitter. Um. <laughs> fingers as of crossed time of recording as of time of um, recording yeah you can find me at my tag that i've said before and i'm sure will be linked in with the post of this episode but it's just at my name and um, e-o-i-n-d-i-i-o-y i post frequently about films um and guest on many a podcast because i still have not had the time to create my own but love just little conversations with people who i've met online um but yeah that's where you can find most of my work right on yeah uh and you can find this podcast on twitter and letterboxd uh at lone acting noms and on instagram at the lone acting nominees that'll be it for this episode thank you for listening Mm -hmm.